The following podcast presentation has technical issues that have resulted in recording being of inferior quality to my usual high standards. I've made all efforts to recover as much of the original conversation as possible. I decided to release this episode, even though it falls short of what you've come to expect, because I believe the guest story will still relate to many people. This is the Spirited Talk podcast. Conversations and much more about connecting with our friends and lost ones in the spirit world. And now, here's your host, Trevor. My guest today is a lady that will be familiar with a lot of people near her hometown. She's from the black country in the heart of England. Who am I talking about? Stay around and find out. For many years, I've been involved with the work of communicating with the spirit world. The Spirited Talk series of podcasts are part of my way of not just continuing to educate myself, but to share that knowledge and wisdom with you, the listener. My guests are specifically selected for the time-served experience in this incredible subject. By hearing their stories and their experiences, together we can expand our own knowledge and realise that we too can connect with the spirit within us. Before I introduce today's guest, take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on the platform you're listening to it on now. And you can find out more about these series on our website, spiritedtalkpodcast.com. Now, let me tell you a bit about today's guest. My guest today is a lady who has been aware of the spirit world from a very early age. Not only was she able to see the auras around people, but she also had an out-of-body experience, and that was all at the age of five. She told me before this interview that it's her understanding that the spirit world will use whatever method they can to communicate a message to us. My guest believes that if you want to work with the spirit to the best of your abilities, then it's worth investing in an education. She'll tell us today of the qualifications that she's earned through the Spiritualist National Union. She's a healer a medium, and enjoys working with select students. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest for today is Irene Janus. A few weeks ago, I asked a question to our podcast community on Facebook. The question was, what are your favourite tools when you're connecting to the spirit world? Now, Irene, our guest today, was one of the community that gave an answer, and that was what caught my attention. I'd never heard of what she'd spoken about before, but I thought I need to talk to her. I am absolutely delighted to be speaking with today's guest, Irene. Hello, Irene. How are you? Hello, Trevor. Share with our listeners today whereabouts in the country you are speaking to us from. I'm uh, speaking to you from Wolverhampton in the West Midlands. Ah, yes. Is it true that the people from the black country are actually the friendliest in the country? Absolutely true. (laughs) (laughs) I actually believe that because I used to live in Gloucester and we used to go up to Birmingham quite a bit. And I remember as a kid, we went to Dudley Zoo, which is not far from where you you are i suspect no no not very far they were wonderful people wonderful well welcome welcome to spirited talk irene it is absolutely good to be speaking with you briefly irene could you just spend a minute or two and tell us are you married have you any children etc no i'm not married i don't have any children but i have i come from a very very small family Uh, Both my parents were only children, so I have no direct cousins and I've just got one brother 
who has got two children who I'm very, very close to. Ah, uh, so, so you're, a, I was going to say a grandmother, but that's not quite true, is it? You're, is it great, great aunt or aunt? I am a great aunt, yes, because my, both, both my nephews have got two children each. So, yes, I am a great aunt. Right, let's go back to that childhood you skipped over very briefly there. Tell us a little bit about your, uh, your mum and your dad. What did they do for a living and what was the household like that you grew up in? Both my parents married very young. My father was a refugee from Hungary and he arrived in this country when he was 16. And he later moved in next door to where my mum was living, lodging with some neighbours. My mother kicked a ball over the fence to get to know him. And that, as they say, was the beginning of their life together. I, I did have a happy childhood, but... I lived in a house with very volatile people and I was very calm and placid and I often thought I'd been dropped into the wrong house and that I was adopted or something like that. I was loved and I got on very well with my brother, although like siblings you do have have your ups and downs. But eventually my parents did divorce when I was about 15. Some years later, my father remarried and then uh, we lost touch. And my brother and myself, we did try to keep the relationship going, but it wasn't to be. I, I can only say that I do feel with my father and his volatility, it had a lot to do with the war when he was a child and what he saw. Uh, I've never held anything against him. I just think he'd lost a lot by moving away. But you carry on in life. And, and I've heard from him since he's been in the spirit world. Uh, but I did have a, a very, very strong, loving mother and grandparent and great aunt that had a, a big input in my life. I, I, I can honestly say I did have a happy childhood. We weren't rich, but we weren't poor. We had nice things. We had a car. We had a television before most of my friends. So we were comfortable. I lived uh, as a child in a cul-de-sac where there were lots of young children. The elder ones looked after the young ones, and we'd often go out together. And this one day, we went swimming. I don't recall having been to the swimming bath before this time. I can remember being on the side of the swimming pool. I'd be about five. I must have been hovering and being a little bit reticent about going in. And one of the lads just pulled me in. And my memory of that moment must have been the shock because I saw myself drowning and I knew that I was still where I was, but my body was in that water. And that memory never left me. And uh, I didn't know anything about out-of-body experiencing like that. But it was a memory that's always came with me. In that generation, for you to be brought up in a single parent family would have been quite tough, I would have thought. Yes, there was quite a stigma around at that time. And we did live with my grandparents for a few years. Uh, my grandfather, I, I remember my mother saying, oh, well, I am getting divorced. And my grandfather said, all the more reason. I, I, I suppose I was protected. I was very protected very naive for my age but you can't protect people all the time my mother wasn't religious but my father was a catholic my grandparents weren't they were all church of england but my mother wanted us to have a good education and good standards of life 
So I was in in the Catholic faith. And I have to say, I loved it. I would sit in church and I'd love all the ritual and everything like that. And that was when I suppose I started seeing the auras. So, you, Irene, you said you had a good relationship with your brother, which is uh, quite a good thing, I would have thought. Well, we had our, our moments, but we were very supportive of each other. Yeah, we had a very close, confident relationship. And that has continued all of my life. When you haven't got very many relationships, you can't afford to turn your back on anyone. That was always his dancing life. There's just a, and you soar on together and um, through thick and thin, really. Although he served uh, abroad, I still had that connection with him. He was in the army. Irene, can I ask you what interests you had as a young girl? I did a lot of reading. I mean, I did a lot of playing outside with friends, etc. Did a lot of swimming, roller skating. As far as other things, I, 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 did, I was an avid reader. I love to read books of how people live all around the world in different countries. And in fact, I was a librarian in my junior school. Um, I'd just get lost. Everything would tune out when I'd be reading. I wouldn't hear people or anything. I was just just engrossed in whatever I was reading. They were my favourite subjects at school as well. What were you like at school? What were your early years like there? And what was your main subject that you really liked doing at school? I loved ancient history. I loved reading about the Egyptians and also the way we all evolved. And I also loved literature. That they, they combined, really. I loved reading autobiographies and biographies. I know at a very early age, early teens, I'd probably be about 13, I remember reading about uh, people like St. Teresa of Avila, Edgar Cayce, but mainly I love reading about people's real life. You mentioned you had an early understanding of God. With your mum, how was her religious outlook? My mum wasn't religious at all, from what I recall, and, and, and to the day she died, she never... I often asked her, do you believe in God? And she'd say, no, I don't know what there is. I'm not sure. She wasn't uh, exactly an atheist, but I will say this. Two years of her life, she wanted me to buy her a gold crucifix. So whether that was uh, just for jewellery or whether it was because uh, she had got her own belief. My grandmother died on my 18th birthday. And my grandfather died the week before. And I wasn't with either of them at the time because of circumstances. But I do remember my mother saying that she saw a pink cloud leave my my grandmother's body when she died. But she never elaborated any more on that. My mom was a very non-judgmental person. She was a glamorous, very glamorous lady, and she loved life, regardless of adversity, regardless of the breakdown of her marriage and everything. She just loved life. What did your mum do for a living? Uh, she had various jobs, from what I remember. She worked in retail. She loved uh, being with people and speaking to people, uh, but latterly, because of her health, she did work on, on the production line in the factory. I, I really feel that my mom would have loved to have managed a pub. She was born in a pub. I remember my granddad being behind the bar pulling pints. 
she was actually born in a pub. She loved, when she retired, uh, she went to work in a pub uh, just for the social thing. But yes, I, I really feel that if she could have done, she would have loved to have run a pub. She just absolutely loved being with people. Well, it sounds like you had a very good few years, the young years for sure. Your mum certainly was a, a person that looked after her family. And then let's move into those teen years, which I don't know about you, but I struggle to remember back to those myself. But going back, what was your favourite music? One record sticks out to me because I used to skate to this. Uh, was Mary Wells and My Guy uh, that I always remember Otis Redding and uh, they were my era thought of uh, the Drifters and um, but I can't say that any one particular song other than Mary Wells sticks out. When you were in your teens there Irene what did you aspire to be when you were at school and when you were starting to think of your adult life what were you wanting to be later in life? If I'm honest, I wanted to be an actress. I did enjoy school plays. I always remember I've got a memory of being the narrator at quite a young age of the school play. But that wasn't to be because I wanted to go to drama school, but my parents split up. During my uh, secondary school, my parents sent me to business college where I learned shorthand and typing and secretarial work. So they wanted me to have something to fall back. But my father was very, very hot on education. So he wanted me to have skills to be able to earn a living. He'd gone to night school and and his uh, higher national diploma in engineering. He was very, very strict with both me and my brother to be educated and and to be able to uh, earn a, a good living. When my parents did split up, mother encouraged us to get apprenticeship. So I became a a commercial apprentice and my brother became an engineering apprentice. I was very good at it and I became student of the year at college. I uh, was apprentice of the year at work and it it stood me in good stead all my life because I ended up in quite high positions in working for the captains of industry in my local town and around and in the city of London. But it was always a means to an end, really. I I wouldn't have called myself a career girl. I had a well-paid job uh, to supply me with the needs that I needed. Do you understand what I'm saying? It wasn't wasn't the be-all and end-all of my life. Do you remember that very first ever pay packet? Do you remember how much was in it? Two pounds, seven (laughs) shillings and sixpence. (laughs) Never forgotten that. Oh, those were the days, eh? Crikey. What was your first memory that you recall of someone close to you passing to spirit? Well, it was my grandfather because I was very... Very close to my grandfather. Didn't really see my grandfather deteriorating. He ended up in hospital, but he was a he was a lovely man, and that was my first bereavement. My a week late, a week later, she died. Of- Just for our listeners here, we do have some technical issues. This is either Zoom or one of us has got something wrong here, so I do apologise. In between that last question and this one. We've got our Irene to take out her headset from her smartphone and hopefully we'll have a better connection now. So you mentioned earlier on that it was your grandfather's passing was one of your first experiences of the spirit world. Do you want to pick up the story regarding that passing? 
Um, well, well, to be honest, I, I'd never really thought about the spirit world other than uh, the saints and, um, or, or like I've already mentioned about um, uh, the lives of, of the saints and my connection with God, I felt very strongly. Prior to my, my grandfather passing, I heard a voice warning me that I was in danger. Actually, I, I was walking down the road going back to my parents' home and a car pulled up and threw the doors open and they were trying to abduct me. But because I heard this voice, I managed to run around the car and across the road where I saw two people who were walking together, but I walked in between them. And so the car went off. It happened again. The same voice warned me. And I turned around and it was the same car heading towards me. I couldn't see anybody around and I wasn't far from the house. But the only thing I could think to do was run and then suddenly stop because I saw some headlights behind this car and I knew he couldn't slam its brakes on. And so I just stopped and pretended to uh, do something with my shoe. And exactly what had come into my mind happened. And then the car went off and uh, I managed to get into the house. And then, of course, uh, we reported it to the police and um, they roamed around. I didn't experience anything like that again for a while, but I did used to have strong feelings before this were going to happen. I knew things were happening, but on those occasions, it was a voice that alerted me. So I did then just believe it was God, really. I didn't, uh, or my guardian angel, um, I didn't put it down to anybody from spirit. I didn't know about those sort of things, really, at, at that point in time. But you told me um, at the age of five, you had you were able to see the auras around people as well. Oh, yes. Well, yes. But then again, you see, I mean, being brought up a Catholic, you were never taught anything like that. Um, it was all very much dogma. I mean, I wasn't really taught to pray other than by rote. Uh, everything was done by rote. So I didn't understand what I was seeing. I just thought everybody else could see it. I used to see the mouths around the statues moving and, uh, you know, in the in the church and, and people. Uh, I could see it wasn't necessarily colour, Trevor, but it was like a mirage around them, like the electric field, I could see. And then uh, things progressed. I started to later see the colours. I did see it around plants and animals, but I just thought I didn't really know what it was. I just know I saw these things. And then I used to um, see it expand or contract. Uh, now I know why I'd got that intuition uh, so strong about things but um, I was very ignorant about uh, lots of things to do with uh, with spirit because I, I, we were never taught those things uh, uh, in my um, growing up. Um, I'd heard of the tarot, I'd heard of fortune tellers and um, I have to say uh, I used to go to them uh, and they if I uh, found a really good psychic uh, media, well, psychic really, I would stick uh, to that one. 
I feel that this one in particular, uh, I'm, I'm going ahead of myself, but she was excellent and, and she um, encouraged me to stay strong in lots of things that I encountered in my life as time went on. So I, I really didn't know anything about the spirit world other than ghosts. Taking us up to the break, because we're going to have a little short break in a few moments. Could you just explain to us then, Irene, how it suddenly became that you were going to spiritualist churches and there was an interest? Explain how that uh, all came about in your life. What happened? I'd, I was ill. I'd, I'd, got, I'd been unable to work for many years. I became crippled up with what I thought was arthritis, but it turns out it was a, a condition called fibromyalgia syndrome. And that was a, a chronic pain and chronic fatigue condition that affected the soft tissues in the body. And it was syndrome because it had other symptoms with it, which were most peculiar. It was only recognised by the World Health Organisation in 1992. So it took a long time for me to get a diagnosis and for people to understand why I couldn't do the things that I normally did. Because prior to that, I'd had a very active life uh, playing tennis and all sorts of sports. So, uh, and it happened practically. I suppose it, it was a slow build-up, but... Um, because I couldn't accept that I couldn't do things, I made life worse for myself to the point where I couldn't walk. I was down to a shuffle. I got very, very supportive family and friends. And a friend mentioned a healer to go to this healer. So I started going to a healer. And I spent a lot, a lot of money, nearly a £1,000 going to this healer. And um, there was no improvement. I remembered a friend taking her friend to the spiritualist church in Wolverhampton for healing. And it coincided with a Tuesday afternoon. So I went in, I walked in, and actually I, I felt very comfortable there. And um, that was it. I never looked back. I started going for healing. Then I started taking an interest in the services I'd go to the services or I'd go to an open day. And I remember distinctly, and I've never forgotten this, because I came out and I walked out of the door and it was as if a pillowcase full of white feathers were blowing all around me from the sky. I couldn't see where where this um, shower of white feathers was, but... I've always taken it since as a sign that, I, that you know, somebody was very happy for me to be there. So I, I just continued to carry on going and listening and observing. I enjoyed the songs and I just felt at home. I didn't know anybody. There was nobody in my family or amongst my friends that were spiritualists. Uh, the only connection I had with uh, the spiritualist was that I did believe in God and I was a, I was a very um I, I prayed every day all but every day of my life to God and said thank you and sorry and all these these things and so it was always I was always in tune with what we now um and I call the infinite um I've always been in tune in, in that respect I always think you go where you're meant to be and I was taken and, and brought to 
there in the circumstances that were necessary. What church was this, Irene? It was Wolverhampton Spiritualist Church. Which you um, still attend nowadays? And that I do. Um, it was in 2006. I, I, I started on the healing team in 2008. Uh, I did go to the um, induction class and then I heard about these guides that I'd never heard of in my life before. I knew we got eight, um, guardian angels, but I'd never heard of guides and I just couldn't wait to meet my guide. So you had to go through a few weeks of induction before you could move on to any of the circles. But me being impatient, I jumped ship very quickly and started going to the open circle. And it, and then I started to go to the awareness. I just kept nagging. I wanted to meet this guide. They kept promising me I was going to meet this guide. And I just thought, when are you going to show me yourself? When are you going to show me yourself? And then as I said, I, I see, I've, I've always seen uh, faces in things and shadows and forming things and pedolia um, it's called. But as I was looking into the carpet, there was a pattern in the carpet, but it was nothing to do with the pattern. And as I was staring, I suppose it's like scrying, as I was staring, this thing appeared, I thought, because I saw it like a white light going across, coming out of the carpet uh, uh, and like a... Um, a tri- uh, not a triangle, but it was a right angle, a right angular shape with two feathers sticking out. So the only thing I could liken it to was a tomahawk. So that was it. I thought, oh, that's the calling card or something. And then I kept saying, show me your face, show me your face. And, I, and the answer back was, you're not ready yet. You're not ready. So I didn't say anything, but not long afterwards, there was a mind-body-spirit event in Birmingham to which I uh, went with a, a, another healer. And my purpose for going was to see a psychic artist that drew guides. And this lady's name, I'll, I'll never forget her, It was she was called Roz Coleman. Uh, she's still probably very active as uh, still. And uh, I didn't say anything to her. I'd never met her before. And I sat down. She held my hand. And the first thing she drew was this, what I thought was a tomahawk, but it wasn't. It was an Apache bandana, exactly that shape with the two feathers sticking out. Then she drew drew it and it was an Apache. Well, I was thrilled and, and amazed at the, at the same time. So I feel that that was where I became much more interested and much more committed to seeing where this was going to lead me. Um, I had no preconceived ideas. I did enjoy the study. And I think also besides this drawing I started reading a lot of Silver Birch books. I just loved the philosophy in it. I love the non-judgmental atmosphere in this church that you are who you are and nobody made judgments and there was no doctrine and, and that sort of thing. And I felt I felt more free and uplifted uh, than I had done in many, many years. So that, that was the very, very first time I'd seen anything at all to do with spirit okay. uh, that could prove to me. I tell you what, you've given us a lot to think about for that first half. We're going to take a short break right now. Spirited Talk and the Podcast Playlist are free podcasts. 
If you would like to make a financial contribution to the project, please visit our patron page at spiritedtalkpodcast.com and Spirited Talk Podcast is all one word. Thank you. Hi, my name is Beth Mann, spiritual medium, and you are listening to the Spirited Talk Podcast. And welcome back. We come into the second half with Irene Janice from the Black Country, giving us a fantastic insight into her story. And we now go into the nuts and bolts of it. But first, we have our voiceover man, Arthur, on standby here. He has 10 questions, numbered 1 to 10. All I need you to do, Irene, is agree to undertake the challenge and agree to answer the question, whatever it is, as honestly as you can. Are you up for this one? Yes. Okay, then. So your number from 1 to 10. 2. You want number 2. So, okay, here we go. Here's Arthur. Here is your chosen question. Question 2. If you really had to, how many regular-sized donuts could you eat in one session? <laughs> Well, this is cruel because I don't like donuts. So I wasn't <laughs> the only thing I don't like. I hate donuts. Really, no, I, I don't like donuts at all. No. <laughs> well, well, in that case, that gives me an opportunity to tell a, a story on that. I, when I was doing my career work a couple of years ago, I was doing really, really, really well with my diet. I'd been losing loads and loads of weight and I was quite chuffed with it. And I'm diabetic, so it's important. And I was down in Ipswich, somewhere near Ipswich or Actually, it was just outside Bury St. Edmunds. And I popped into this garage to fill up. I was on the way back from a job, uh, five hours ahead of me to come home. And I was starving because all I had was like lettuce sandwich or whatever. And I went into this garage and it had a Morrison's shop attached. And on the counter, he said, uh, we've got a special offer on. We've got these donuts here. They're a pound a packet and you get 10 donuts in a packet. And I said, I can't. And he said, "You well, you know, it's a bargain. Anyway, I'm 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 a soft touch, and I bought this packet of ten donuts, and I said to myself, I'll open it, and I will only have one donut. Well, I don't think I'd got even back to Kettering before that packet had gone. So I know that I can eat ten donuts if I really need to. But I, I must say, my partner said to me the next morning when we were testing my blood, she said, "Why is your blood so high? I gave you good food yesterday. I don't don't get why your blood is so high." And I'm not sure that I ever confessed to that packet of donuts but uh, there we go thank you very much well never mind i answered the question for you there now then i'm quite interested about all, all of this part of it because you're a very sensible lady that seems obvious to me now on this subject of development you then chose in your life you said i need to train on this i need to go one step further with what i know about this subject and you then undertook some training from the uh, spiritualist national union could you spend a couple of minutes ironing and just tell us how that came about and what you've actually achieved through that system. Because I, I wasn't brought up uh, as a spiritualist, I wanted to know that what I was doing was correct, not a figment of my imagination. And, and I have to say, spirit really had to prove to me that it was the spirit when I started developing, I'd heard of these Claire's, clairvoyance, clairsentience, and, and everybody seemed to be able to see and hear and all this. But I just, it was mainly knowing with me until I was going to stop doing mental mediumship. I was just going to stick with the healing because that really was my comfort zone. And I also loved it. I loved connecting with the spirit, uh, with the healing. 
I was having thoughts one night going to the circle that this would be the last time I'm going because these people were just trying to humour me and that was it. Anyway, I got there. The circle leader said to me, what do you want to do tonight? And I said, communication. I thought, this is it, because I, I knew in my, my own mind this was going to be my last night. So I went upon the platform and I felt this cold, really cold uh, breeze around me. And as I stood up to give the evidence, I started doing some peculiar thing with my hands. Uh, my fingertips were tapping each other. And as I was giving the, uh, the evidence, it was as if... Somebody walked into my body. That's the only way I can describe it. They came so close to me that I, I, I was larger and I was bigger and, and I'd never felt that before. So the girl who was accepted the message and she said, and that is exactly what she used to do with her hands when she was upset and annoyed. And I sat down and I thought, well, that wasn't me. I don't do that. And then that started me down the path of development. But I, I had seen some bad mediumship. I'd seen some messages given very responsibly. And I said to myself, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it properly. Reluctantly, I mean, I, I have to say I, I was a reluctant platform medium. I didn't like people looking at me and, and didn't like being on the stage. I was so different from when I was young, in my younger days. But I wanted to go and get the education. So I, I just was going along for the ride, really, with one of the one of the other girls from the church. And once I'd started with the education, I kind of just really just felt as if I was going under the radar and, and I just couldn't get enough information and education. And I was a pain in the neck, really, because I was a very, very question, question, question. I know some of my... Some of my teachers since have said, oh, you used to drive us mad. You were always asking question, question, question. I said, yes, because I wanted to know what you knew. You know, so I, I was a very keen student, but a pain in the neck sometimes. But I always say to those that I work with me, never be afraid to ask, because if I don't know the answer, I'll find it out for you. Things that were happening to me, it took me too many years to find somebody that knew and could explain it to me because we don't all have the same experiences and we don't all know everything. So that was the reasoning behind my wanting to be educated in a proper and professional manner. Yes, I know we don't we don't need those things to prove that we're a good medium. And I, I, I don't think of myself as a better than anybody else. I just know that I meet the standards that are required. What qualifications have you uh, managed to achieve yourself? Uh, well, initially, after my three years on the West Midlands Exponent Scheme, I, I um uh, the pass was introduced. So I did the platform accreditation scheme and then I went on to do the uh, certificate of recognition, both in speaking and demonstrating. So in, in effect, you sit, you do the education, you sit a final assessment board, it's called now, and you have so many questions on each subject. 
that's for the pass. And then individually, you take the certificate for speaking and that's one lot of questions on that. And then when you're doing your demonstrating, it's the same process and you, you have to answer questions regarding that. You sit before a panel of three and then you do a reading. This is philosophy. You do a reading that they choose and then you have to do a philosophy on it. And that's just one part of the exam. Then you go and you do a public, uh, you speak to uh, in a service. It's like a service, really. You do an opening prayer, closing prayer. You do uh, a philosophy and you do your demonstration of mediumship uh, to the public. And then you receive feedback. And later on in the day, depending on how whether you've met the criteria, you either get a pass or you may get referred to resit. Fortunately for me, I did pass. And afterwards, I know it's a lot to go through. Uh, it's it's a lot of tension and anxiety, really. At the end, after I'd passed, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel better than anyone, didn't. I just thought, well, that's that then. Because really, it's just knowing that for, you, for yourself, that you were working to a code of conduct and you have got responsibility to the spirit world and to the, the client or the recipient that uh, you have future contact with. So I always felt, even in my professional career, qualifications are good because they, you've done the study and the learning and in this field we are in we have such an impact on others minds so the, there's a great deal of responsibility to the spirit world because they want to be able to get their message across in a proper manner and as authentically as possible and to the recipient who is there really often either prove it and that they they can be quite difficult, but also for the healing of the soul of of the people who are in grief, I mean, people who have lost children, all those close to them. And it is, to my mind, a big, big responsibility, Mm. and it's not something to be taken lightly or to be used as entertainment, Mm. and I take it very, very seriously. But I do know we do need to have humour with it because spirit don't change change their personalities. They bring through their personality of humour. So that's what I try to do. I try try to bring through the authentic spirit and do it in a responsible way. You've reminded me of my early days of going to the college myself. When you go there as a bit of a naive student, as I was, and a questioning mind that I certainly had, is you go and you see these wonderful people like Maureen Simon, Eileen Davis, in my case, was one of the teachers, Sandy. Uh, these teachers, they stand there and they, they teach, and you're looking with a, an awe. You think, wow, they've got this ability to be able to talk to the other side, and I want that skill. I want to be able to do that. They must have like special powers and I can't wait to have those powers myself. And then a few months or a few weeks down the line, all of a sudden you give somebody a message and that message is moving and profound and you maybe see some emotions from the person that you gave it to and you go, oh, oh, well, I don't feel any extra power. I don't feel any different. And over the the years then after working with the spirit and working and communicating and connecting, you realise there isn't a power. That was all in my mind. That was all a myth in the beginning that I was going to have this special power and all these teachers had special powers. And it's a complete myth, isn't it? 
I don't call it a myth. I, I do feel we've all got these abilities that we were born with, particularly the psychic power. To my mind, it's our sixth sense and we're all born with it, but it's amazing how many people never use it. I think what I'm trying to word is the fact that there's a point in our early beginnings in when we start becoming a trainee medium, if there was such a thing, you think that something's going to transform in your life, that suddenly you're going to get these superpowers. And the whole process of unfoldment really is something that's almost unnoticeable. It's just happening and you don't change as a person. You just become aware over time. That's true. That's very true. But I do feel as well, as you are developing your closeness with the spirit world, you have that closer connection to the infinite spirit. And it's been my experience. I don't know if it's the higher self even that influences us, whether it's our guides that influence us to guide us in in the right way. But I do know once you start connecting with that infinite power, life does change completely. And sometimes for the better, does not protect us from our lessons. I mean, I'd only just started doing my healer training when I I had cancer. So all through my healer training, I was also battling cancer. I was on a 10-year trial at the Christine in Manchester. And I always say, I don't know how I would have handled it if I hadn't have had that close connection with spirit. I do healing on my partner and to some extent it would appear that the results are unnoticeable. She has rheumatoid arthritis and is in a a pretty bad way on her legs at the moment with it and uh, you know the following morning I'll say how are your legs and she says they're no different and there would be one argument that would say but the healing's doing no good but I like to look at it this way if I didn't do the healing how much worse would it have got so well exactly exactly because I do think with healing it never fails it helps us on different levels it may help our spirit to stay strong through the adversity of the ailments. It may go away and you may have times that um, are better than others. When you are living with a long-term chronic illness, I do feel maybe we're meant to have these things to challenge us. But to have the healing, it helps us cope with it better. Now, I realised when you were speaking earlier on, there was something that you said that caught my attention. You said that while you were healing, you felt that you were in your comfort zone. Yes, which I've come to realise that everything is connected with healing. And so then I realised that I, I had to overcome a lot of things to become a platform medium because it was never my aim. I didn't like public speaking. I didn't like to be the centre of attention. I felt my philosophy would be judged. I'd be judged on, and and you are judged on everything. So I had to get over myself. I had to get over my anxiety. I actually class it as stage fright, really, because I'd go, I'd have panic attacks. And I said to the spirit world, you know, I can't do this. I can't do this. If I'm meant to do this work, this has got to stop. I can't do this because I I just felt as if I was going to die of palpitations and I had a big, big hurdle to cross. But I have to say, they did guide me 
And I ended up being uh, guided to books on mantras. And I did a lot of mantras to get over this fear of public speaking and being in the public. And it took a, it took a while, but it made it happen. A medium a friend of mine who was a healer, when I was doing my training in, in the mediumship, we had to do so many services to get your book filmed and so many philosophies. And quite early on, she said to me, I hate doing philosophy. You can come out with me to all my services as long as you do the philosophy. So the way it worked, uh, she would do the opening prayer. I would do the philosophy. Then she would do most of the mediumship. And she'd leave me 15 minutes at the end of the service to do two messages because I was just quite a beginner. And I worked with her for about 12 months and I got my books signed. And I still really, I, I can't actually say that I was still that confident. But then I had a message for me and Spirit said, you're going to have to start going solo now. And I said to my friend, or oh, I'm, I'm supposed to start going solo next year. So I'd, I'd got a booking and I went along and she came with me and I was quite thinking she was going to join me on the platform. But she said, no, Irene, this is your service. You're doing this on your own. And, you know, I did. But because I'd done most of the service anyway, or the, the, the more messages, if you like, I didn't actually really know how many messages I'd got in me, you know, to keep connect with Viri. But it happened and they never, they'd never never let me down. I had one or two hiccups on the way, doubting them. And mainly it was because of the recipient. It isn't an easy journey and it isn't an easy thing to do. And um, I just feel that if you think it is, then you're very much mistaken. Because as you and I, Trevor, know, and I've been doing this for 10 years now, you're only as good as your last message, your last service or demonstration. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, you've just done something there. You've introduced a word to our community that I'm fairly sure in all the episodes I've recorded so far, I've not heard this word uh, uh, used. So I'd like you to spend a couple of minutes and just explain to our listeners, in your view, what are mantras? Mantras. They're affirmations, really. They're words that you keep repeating to yourself. If you've got a fear of something, uh, to go into a meditative state, you can use a mantra. Um, a lot of people do it, it within uh, Tibetan Buddhism. My mantra was just believe, believe, believe. Uh, you are the medium. You are a medium. And just believe in, in yourself that you are doing, you know, this work for, for good. So the, the mantra itself was, I am the medium. I yeah. am a medium. Believing in myself and believing in the spirit world. You know, I, I do think a lot of people put on it and people have often said to me, oh, you're so, you're so serene, you're so calm. And I do believe that's the atmosphere I, I give in a service. Uh, that's 
from what I've been told. But do, nobody sees uh, you paddling like mad underneath. <laughs> they, they see you up there on a platform, but they don't know the hurdles you've had to get over yourself to, to be there. And you, you do it for the love of spirit. It's a wonderful feeling after the end of a demonstration. You wouldn't keep doing it. One of the interesting things about mantras, you say that it's just keep repeating a single line or phrase to ourselves. One of the interesting things, if it's worth understanding that your subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between a truth and a lie. So if you say, I am a medium, I am a medium, I am a medium, and you repeat that phrase enough times, your conscious mind, not your subconscious, your conscious mind will believe it. And that's the key to the mantras. That's the key of how it works. It's also, you're putting it out there in the energy, the universal energy as well, aren't you? Absolutely. Energy follows thought or the word. Yeah, absolutely. So you are putting it out there and strengthening every time you say it. You are strengthening that. um... And I'm actually very, very glad that you've brought that back up. And one of the pleasures of talking to you is your understanding that the spirit world, those that want to communicate with us, will use whatever method they can to talk to us. The feather on the doorstep or the feather in the middle of the lounge, let's say, may be a message. Now, you've got a thought that the communications from the spirit world come through all ways and means, and you've given us some examples in your words. Irene, spend a few moments now. Tell us why you believe that the spirit world won't restrict the communications to us just through our mental mediumship. Well, I've proved it to myself, actually. And I see it in others too. We are, the spirit world will use anything that's within your powers, such as some people are more visual. I I was afraid to see the spirit. I, I didn't want to see spirit. I thought I'd be frightened to see the spirit. Now, if you've got blockages to start with, I mean, obviously I've gotten over those things years ago. But uh, I mean, and very often you'll hear people say from the platform, if you see anything, we'll soon be out that door as well. So we are sometimes afraid to see the actual spirit. Okay, we can. you may see it on your mind or they'll bring in a, an impression of someone you know and you can describe, you know, spirit will work in, in all sorts of ways depending on your strengths and they will work to your strengths. Now, me, I was afraid to see spirit in the flesh. So they were very subtle. They, they showed themselves like holograms and um, impressions coming out of things. I mean, I saw... In one demonstration, I saw a hand coming out of the carpet again, like I told you about the headdress, and I'd see things on walls. And I know it's called pedolia, but they will use whatever way they can to communicate with you. I often see uh, communication also in words uh, or symbols. They, they will use symbols um, as a shortcut because... They want to use as little energy as possible. And if a certain symbol is something to you, they'll use that. You can use it both um, with your psychic ability. But also I feel it's it's all this psychic. Psyche is the soul and it's soul to soul. Soul to soul with the recipient and soul to soul with the spirit. Mm. And to my mind, the difference a way of communicating is we just raise our vibration more 
to work with the soul of the spirit in, um, uh, in the in the spirit world. So they will use everything that they possibly can to, to get their message across. And I do feel if I'd have listened to a lot of people, and, and how do we know it's right? Well, we don't. Only the recipient of the message knows what that means to them, or whether you've got the evidence right. We don't know if we've got the evidence right. We only have to trust that we're getting what we see and what, what is given. The same with anything in life, only everything that we use is within us and we shouldn't limit ourselves. If I'd have listened to lots of people in my life along this journey, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do the other. But I never, I never took any notice. I, if I was interested in doing something, I did it. And I, that's what I would say to everybody. Don't limit yourself with one aspect of working with the spirit. A lot of people will come into this, as you and I did, Irene. We come in very sceptical and we question. And there will be people listening to this now that will say, well, give me an exercise. Prove to me how this the spirit world will communicate with me. Well, I've got a three-step way that I do this. Uh, step one is to ask. So the first thing you need to do is define a question that you'd like the spirit world to answer for you. So ask the precise question to the spirit world. Now that's the easy part. The second part is observe. Now this might not happen that you'll get the answer that day or that week. And at some point you will get the answer to that question given to you. Now at the third and final stage of this is you then have to acknowledge it. And that is the key to this all. Because I remember being at college once with Irene Davis as a teacher and Eileen Davis, I beg your pardon, as a teacher. And she said to us all, the minute you start to limit the ways that the spirit world can connect to you, you are cutting some of your potential areas off. That's just a little exercise I thought I'd throw in there. Do you I mind? agree. I, yeah, I agree, um, Trevor. Never limit ourselves with the spirit. One of the things that we are as mediums, we are slightly more attuned. We are sensitive. So it's another word for a medium, a sensitive. We are very sensitive. And I think because the more you attune as a medium, the more you unfold yourself, the better you are at receiving these alternative communications and in fact, any communication because of that attunement. Would you agree, Irene? Absolutely. And I was given the best advice from someone in my, the early days of my development. And I was told that if I would sit in the power for one hour a day, that my mediumship would ex uh, accelerate. And it did. And not that, not that anything actually took place or, or anything, but just sitting and having that connection yeah. with the power. I would recommend to any medium, be they experienced or just on their journey, Never forget, that's the best exercise to develop and improve ourselves as mediums, is to sit in the power. Do you know what, Irene, you're actually talking my lingo here. I really like this. The thing is, I've spoken to quite a few mediums on this uh, podcast, and I found a common denominator. Very few of these mediums will ever admit to having time or spending time meditating. Really, they don't meditate. And here comes the difference. No, they spend time in the power. In the power. Meditation is is a different thing altogether. Yep. 
Meditation is to relax for your own self-healing and a pleasure. But sitting in the power is totally different. I call it my spirit gym. Do you understand what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Irene, yeah. we've only got a few minutes left. Did you say to me, I can't remember whether yeah. you said you actually teach students, you do a few workshops yourself? I do, yes, yes. As you know, I, I like to be educated and I like to know I'm doing things in the right way. So I did do uh, an adult uh, accreditation scheme to help me with the organisation, as it were, of my lessons and my plans and things like that. And so I do I do uh, workshops. I do have my own students as well, too, um, in circles, uh, various circles, awareness and development. And I've done that over a few years. I was on the actual teach training scheme with the SNU, uh, but due to my circumstances and, and health, I only got halfway through that. But whether I will continue with it at some stage, I'm not sure. We'll have to wait to see. Irene, I've also got to say, you you mentioned in our uh, pre-conversation that you were on a course earlier this year, I think it was, and you said you were with Neil Bradley, one of the Spirited Talk guests and voiceover people that we use quite a lot. But you mentioned that it was a trance course. Is this something that you're... It was a trance course, yes. You see, I, I say uh, we should never limit ourselves with the spirit world. I started off with trance healing and I've done lots and lots of courses on trance. One course I went on said trance can only enhance. And so I sit in, I have sat in a trance circle. I had to stop for a couple of years again, through through health reasons. So I do sit on my own for the trance, uh, which isn't a good idea. I'd, I'd rather be able to do with, with a partner or someone. To refresh me, I went on that course to do uh, a refresher in the trance. And that's how I came across Neil. And, you know, in our community, we come across uh, lots and lots of people that you just click and connect with. And uh, Neil was one of those people I clicked and connected with. Yeah. So, Irene, we've got to round this all up right now. I'm going to ask you a, a quick off the cuff question here and see how you deal with this. You've got a bunch of new s students that coming into your living room tonight, for example. What do you look at in, or what do you look for in that brand new student to see what their potential is and how to help them? What's the key thing that you're looking for? Well, if they're co completely brand new, I, I look for their sincerity and the reasoning of why they they want to do the development is my first curiosity as to why they want, want to do the work. They may start off thinking, well, you know, just want to prove this, that and the other to myself or, or to others. And, and, and some people may be in fear, but they're having experiences. So I think you have to take each person and treat them very, very individually because you don't know what they're coming in with and what their agenda is. I do really believe in nurturing that the, they are ultra sensitive at that time. So when I look at a student, I, I like to know some background to them so that as they are developing, I can help them overcome a lot of fears, maybe, or maybe their ego or guide them to do things more responsibly. But actually to get them to understand their own soul, first and foremost. How have you coped with this digital age that we're now having to live in with this lockdown and the fact that we're not communicating only through the Zoom system, have you embraced that? Do you like the idea? 
Well, I'm not very technically minded at all. And living on my own, it's been a godsend to me because it's allowed me to help to continue my development. It's helped me to enjoy lectures, services. Podcasts? Podcasts, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, you see, and what I love about the podcast oh, is, dear. and um, there's several people I've been interested to listen to, but I can still carry on doing what I do in the kitchen or, and I can still listen and, and now I think they're an absolute godsend really that's like talking books isn't it you know if you've got, uh, it's you are able to really listen and, and not feel guilty that you're taking this time out mm. so uh, what, of your uh, busy schedules uh, yeah. so it's been great and I, I'm now um, because I'm quite a good on the Zoom now I may even start to do more work on Zoom myself yeah isn't it interesting that everybody says the same it's it's absolutely fascinating what have you got books have you got anything booked um, during this lockdown? Uh, any churches online or? No, I've booked nothing at all because, um, Trevor, I have been quite poorly since January. I didn't get tested, but I know I had every symptom under the sun connected with the coronavirus. And uh, it has left me with a heart condition now, uh, which I've only just been recently diagnosed with. It. It's given me this atrial fibrillation. So I was passing out and uh, all sorts of weird stuff going on. And it's also left me actually with a problem with my voice and uh, my glands and my throat, for which I'm having tests on. It's all to do with that virus. And this is why I'm thinking of perhaps doing a lot of work on Zoom. I just want to mention to our listeners that we have a wonderful Spirited Talk podcast community on Facebook where all of our previous guests are available to talk to. So if you want to ask Irene questions, if you want to come and meet Irene on the virtual internet, then you must come along and join our Spirited Talk podcast community. It's free to join. You just have to answer, I think, three questions. If you come along and join, you'll find Irene is one of those people there. So if you've got any questions regarding spirit, your growth, your unfoldment or anything like that, it's the ideal place to get the information right from the people that know. Irene, to end this episode and this fantastic interview, I'd love it if you would leave our listeners with some message or piece of inspiration for us to go on with. I would say to anybody starting out, please don't limit yourself when you're working with the spirit. Don't think everything is concrete and set in stone. Be very flexible and you will grow. Irene, thank you very much for giving up your time today and sharing your fabulous story with us. Ladies and gentlemen, Irene Janice. Thank you. And that brings another episode of Spirited Talk to a close. A reminder that there are many ways you can support these podcasts into the future. Start right now by subscribing to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on right now. You are also welcome to join our Facebook podcast community group where hundreds of listeners and the guests come together to be part of Spirited Talk. If you'd like to contribute financially from as little as £5 per month, you can become a partner and access exclusive content and know that you're helping to keep this valuable information source going into the future. You can find out more about this and much more on our website at spiritedtalkpodcast.com. A huge thank you to my partners and to my guests today. From me, Trevor, thank you again and goodbye.